0: With me on the phone right now, Mr. Oliver Hayward, a Russian study specialist in the UW Parkside History Department, and a pleasure to welcome back to WLIP. Oliver Hayward, how are you this morning?
1: I'm fine, thank you.
0: Well, a pleasure to have you with us. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, current affairs in Russia, and then we're going to uh, touch on a trip that you will be sponsoring uh, to go over there a little bit later in the year, March 14th. Uh, First of all, big doings. Now, parliamentary elections in Russia, which in itself is a a news story, and uh, I'll just say, obviously, the big name in the news of late seems to be Vladimir uh, Zirbinowski. I I hope I have that name correct. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, well, so far we're doing all right. Nice going. Uh, Now, everybody's saying extremist. He's being compared to Hitler. I think the big question is what kind of power does this individual have in Russia, and how might it affect us here in the United States and our, uh, you know, dealings with that country?
1: Well, I think you put your finger on two essential points. First of all, the very fact of the election is much more important than I think people are giving it uh, proper credit for right Mm -hmm. now. In the history of that country, this is a very rare occasion indeed. You bet. I think a source of a lot of rejoicing in the West. Secondly, you're also correct in pointing out that Zhirinovsky really hasn't won a thing yet. All he's done is made a remarkably good showing in an election, but it's not even clear that his coalition, if he's able to form one, will really have much effect on the future of the country. Mm -hmm. And he's certainly far from having taken power.
0: Okay. Yeah, because, you know, people tend perhaps to overreact. I'm certainly guilty of it. And not being a real expert in this field, you hear a couple of news reports, and you go, oh, my goodness, Russia's going back to the old ways. Yeah. You know?
1: Actually, it's almost a new way. This is uh, rather different than what they had even before. And, uh, again, it's also important to separate the rhetoric of the campaign, which we Americans should know well about,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: from what he might actually be doing.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> uh, let me ask you this. Uh is it a surprise to you that an that individual such as this, a hardliner, many would call him an, an extremist, uh, would do well in a vote by Russians? I mean, here we are trying to move towards democracy, and suddenly uh, apparently some people in that country are saying, wait a minute, let, let's go in the other direction. Is this kind of just dissension, times are hard kind of vote, do you think? Yeah, I don't think
1: it was really a political vote at all. It was really a vote against some fairly desperate economic conditions that are occurring right now. And I think that's what was really troubling the Russian people.
0: Mm-hmm. What what, are, what is the situation in Russia now? As you're probably aware, uh, I mean, geez, we're still having problems with flooding here in the Midwest, and things just drop out of the news. We kind of lose touch with them. Uh, still difficult times as far as economic, uh, you know, comfort for the citizens of Russia, that sort of thing?
1: Very much so. The inflation rate right now is running at about 15% per month, which is just un- unthinkable in this country. Really? And while goods are not in terrible shortage at the moment, there is the prospect of a fairly grim winter because the agricultural harvest, while fairly good, didn't get really collected and delivered where it needed to go. So there may be a fairly tight uh, winter coming up as far as food and other vital commodities are concerned. Mm -hmm. So I think part of the problem for the Russian people is a pretty grim current existence combined with no real hope that things are going to be getting better in anything like the immediate future.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think it's, it's perhaps too much to ask? And this might be more a soci- uh, socio- sociology? Yeah, sociology question than anything. Uh, I mean, here in the United States, we started out basically agrarian, uh, big families, and we moved slowly through the industrial age and and to where we are now. Is it too much to ask a country or a populist to simply go to capitalism, like uh, starting next year, that kind of thing?
1: I'm thoroughly convinced of that. I think there's been altogether too much of a push toward privatization and uh, free enterprise in that country. That is not anything part of their tradition. And I'm not at all sure, given the conditions in that country, historically and geographically, that that's the answer in the long term anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that's a separate issue from the desire to have a truly representative government, which is very much worthwhile and which I think they've made some impressive strides toward.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel perhaps what may be the end result of, of this uh, you know, trying for change in Russia is kind of a, a situation where the government will be run by the people, but at the same time there will be... Uh Uh, What's the word? Uh, A lot of government control, that sort of thing, managed competition. Yeah,
1: I think that some form of a command economy still makes a lot of sense in a country in which there are serious shortages and will likely remain so for a long time. You have to have some mechanism for distributing the goods in a way that doesn't cheat the poor. And at the moment, it seems to me, the way capitalism is being brought into that country the poor are really suffering grievously.
0: Mm -hmm. What 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 is the worst-case scenario there? Are people starving in Russia, as we speak?
1: No, they're not starving, and uh, in the last couple of winters, despite some fairly dire predictions from some quarters, they basically have made it through, but there's been long lines in some cases, and, and the prices have been the real serious concern. A lot of Russians have pretty well wiped out their savings because they've simply had to spend them on current necessities, and that's sort of scary for
0: them down the road. Mm -hmm. I suppose when you try to move to capitalism, uh, prices go up, up, and away, and they see what competition is really all about.
1: Yes, and also the problem of uh, potential unemployment as some of these big factories get closed down because they're allegedly non-competitive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a bad combination, unemployment and high inflation.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, as a, as a superpower, we here in the United States. Uh, what do you feel our role should be? We are talking about a lot of money going over there, uh, perhaps uh, skilled people going over to train and, and farming and, and uh, you know, uh, labor management and things like that. Uh, sitting back from where you're at, what can we do to help, and should we?
1: Yes, I think, first of all, we definitely should. I think a strong and Western-oriented, democratically- run Russia is very vital to the interests of the entire world and especially to us as the leading power in the world Mm -hmm. as to what we can do it seems to me the first thing we need a lot of is patience we have to stop telling the Russians what to do because that is both economically ineffective I think and it's also politically very stupid because it gives people like Zhiranovsky an opportunity to criticize Yeltsin for things that are really not his fault in a way
0: Yeah, interesting, now I open up phone lines from time to time, and when this was big news, and, and it still is, but you know how things drop out of the media very sure. quickly, two or three weeks ago, uh, or actually I, th- I believe back in October during the, the attempted coup, uh, I said, what should we do to help Russia? And, and the sentiment of a lot of people was we don't trust them. Uh, probably maybe some of our older folks through years of distrust in the Cold War and things like that, they think it's some sort of huge plan to... Uh, to take over the world or something. I don't know, but a lot of people simply don't trust this country yet. Do you, do you feel that that's uh, kind of across the country, that those sentiments?
1: I don't hear that anywhere near as much as I used to. I just completed a course in Russian history in which the answers to some of the questions on the final had much less of a Cold War ring than they have for the last 20 years or so. So I think that is improving somewhat, but it might be that the kind of people who respond to a call show might tend to be in the group that still harbors those old resentments.
0: Mm -hmm. And I suppose one can hardly blame them. There was a lot of fear and a lot of mistrust for a lot of years, and that's not going to turn around real quick. That's
1: right. They, in many cases, have individual reasons for very much disliking the old Soviet Union, but, of course, we're not dealing with the old Soviet Union anymore. Mm -hmm. And in some respects, I think they maybe are hanging on to something that needs a little bit of rethinking. Uh, And there's also the danger of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we do tend to neglect what's going on over there and not give them our help, they may indeed become a danger once again. But I think our long-term interests, including our ultimate financial interests, lie in having a very stable country in that part of the world, and that uh, giving them proper kinds of help will be very conducive to achieving that.
0: Experts say one of the reasons it's important to help uh, financially or, or whatever way uh, they may be talking about is the fact that there's a, a lot of weapons technology, a lot of nuclear, uh, you know, uh, mechanics and, uh, and you know, weapons and missiles and things like that, and due just to the sheer need of money, that this could go to the highest bidder, whoever it may be. Is that a valid concern? Well, for one
1: thing, I know Zirinovsky promised something of the sort during his campaign, so perhaps with the wrong leaders in power, that could well occur, But quite frankly, I know the Russian military, from all I've heard, is just as eager to avoid getting those weapons out into other people's hands as uh, we are. And so I think that would only occur where there a pretty general breakdown of authority in the country.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk Boris Yeltsin for just a moment, then I want to talk about your upcoming trip to Russia. Uh, Apparently, well, he's a guy that's basically trying to take this country by the hand, lead it towards democracy, and it's tough and it's hard, and I'm wondering if uh, citizens uh, of Russia are beginning to resent this man and this perhaps is a reason why uh, you know some of the votes at the parliamentary election went the way they did
1: very strongly so i believe and that's been happening now for some time i think yeltsin may well prove to be a very important figure in the transition but i don't see him being around to complete it i think in 96 if that's when he chooses to let the elections go that he may very well face the prospect of being thrown out of office.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there others that can kind of pick up the banner or he left it and continue, uh, you know, in the direction he has started?
1: None of the people we see right now appear to be in that category, but my friends in Russia tell me that there are a number of young, very able, active leaders in various parts of Russia that are in the process of going through their apprenticeship for leadership, and that by the time Yeltsin might have to step down, there could well be... Somebody whom most of us so called experts couldn't possibly name right now that mm-hmm. would be in a position to take over. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, interesting stuff today. Folks at home are talking to Oliver Hayward. He's a Russian study specialist at UW Parkside History Department. Uh, finally, here, now you're taking a trip over there, uh, I believe in March. Yes. And now what's the deal with that? You're leading the trip, and we'll talk about the prices. Do you need to be a student? Uh, that kind of thing. If people are interested, how do they uh, get set up to go?
1: Okay. It's a two week trip from the 14th to the 28th of March. It is open to the public, although it was originally set up in 1980 as a study tour. People can go on the trip and not take it for credit. And the cost is approximately 2500 And um, we'll be going to St. Petersburg, where we'll be having a homestay. We'll actually be staying with a Russian family, uh, usually in groups of two,
0: mm-hmm. to a
1: family. Then on to Moscow and a town called Nizhny Novgorod, east of Moscow, where a lot of interesting innovations in privatization are taking place. It seems to have a particularly adventurous spirit about how it runs its economy. Interesting. And it's also on the Volga River, which I think will be interesting as well.
0: What's the thrust of this trip? Obviously educational, but but what are we, uh, I assume we're doing more than sightseeing here.
1: Yes, we are. Uh, A lot of it, I teach Russian history, of course, so... Mm -hmm there's a particularly strong focus on that but right now people are generally eager to see what the russian people think of what's going on and to observe the state of the economy and the general stability or instability of the situation so it's a chance to look first-hand at what's happening over there instead of relying strictly on reports that we get over here
0: yeah interesting what a way to teach rather than go see it uh, oh,
1: firsthand. Oh, uh, a wonderful opportunity for me frankly i thoroughly enjoy being able to do this with students and with
0: members of the community mm-hmm. now not long ago had you taken a trip over there which i understand you did uh... you'd be told where to go don't look at this go here someone would be with your group at all times very security conscious has that eased up a bit Uh, Not just a bit. It's eased up almost
1: completely. Uh, In the old days, they always had something for you to do, as you say. Now you have a lot of time on your own. There are no limitations on talking to what I would call regular Russians. And, in fact, just the fact that you can stay in a home with Russians and meet their friends and their friends gives you an opportunity to talk to people who seem to have absolutely no control by the government over them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so really talk to the people who are uh, going through these changes. Yes,
1: exactly. And in the homestays... One of the requirements for being a host is that people in the family be able to speak English, so you really can communicate, (laughs) even if you don't have Russian. Yeah, that'd be difficult to do that.
0: It's a difficult language to pick up, I understand.
1: It is quite difficult, but the thing that scares most people off is the alphabet, and once you've learned the alphabet, there's a lot of cognates words that sound like what they mean in english
0: ah, interesting yeah so all it's right not as bad as it looks mm-hmm. well that about wraps up the time we have oliver hayward i appreciate you being on my program now if people uh, you have a phone number or info uh, source for people that are uh, you know want a little more detail on the on the trip that uh, is coming up in march i
1: sure do the history office at uw parkside uh, has the phone number 595-2467 and just tell the people there that you want to know more about the russian trip and i'll be happy to call you if you'll give me a return phone number or mail something out to you if you give me the address.
0: Oliver Hayward, a pleasure. Thanks for opening our eyes a little bit to what's going on in Russia. And uh, who knows, perhaps we'll talk after your trip and see how things went. Uh, That would be fine. All right. Well, I appreciate you being on the program today. Glad to do it. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oliver Hayward, Russian study specialist from UW Parkside. And once again, the phone number, 595-2467, if you're interested in going to Russia for a couple of weeks in March.